Welcome to Next Gen Now with Rudina Cesare. Your inside track to technology, innovation, and the startup world. Rudina Cesare, managing partner and co-founder of Glasswing Ventures, bridges listeners with the brain trust of the business world, speaking with early adopters and industry-leading innovators. Each week, she gives you a backstage pass to the people designing, building, and marketing the companies, products, and services of the future. Now, WebmasterRadio.fm presents Next Gen Now with your host, Rudina Ciceri. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rudina Ciceri, founder and managing partner at Glasswing Ventures, and I invest in early-stage technology startups. You can follow me on Twitter at Rudina11. And for those of you who don't know, that is R-U-D-I-N-A and the numbers 1 and 1. I welcome you, our listeners, to this edition of Next Gen Now. Today on the program, we are going to speak about cloud technologies and the emerging business models in cloud. I'm excited to be joining Colin Humphreys, a serial entrepreneur and currently CTO of cloud at Pivotal. In this role, Colin is responsible for the company's big picture strategy and roadmap for its cloud platform offerings. He joins Pivotal from its acquisition of Cloud Credo, a company that he co-founded and served as CEO of. The company grew in three years and a month from very few, a small number of employees to over 25 employees, and Colin successfully bootstrapped it. So I'm very interested in speaking to him about that topic. In addition, Colin also organizes London uh, Platform as a Service user groups and is passionate about infrastructure as a code, continuous delivery, and DevOps and agile testing, all terms that our enterprise friends out there will appreciate and relate to. He has spent the last 15 years between development and operations, delivering solutions for a number of large enterprises from e- eBay to PayPal to Volkswagen and others. I'm very excited to have Colin join us today. Welcome, Colin. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So perhaps we start and jump right into what does Pivotal do and what are the pain points that the company addresses? Sure. So there's three core elements to Pivotal. The first one is the the labs offering. So we have the Pivotal people may have heard of from many years ago, Pivotal Labs. The Labs offering is around organizational transformation and making software development better for our customers, making it more effective and make it, uh, making delivery uh, more efficient and more effective. So that's, that's the first part. The next part is Cloud Foundry, Pivotal Cloud Foundry, which is our distribution of the open source Cloud Foundry release. So we are taking Cloud Foundry, we're making it easy to consume and deploy for, um, organizations and obviously you can imagine that ties in really well with our labs component so you know we're really good with the labs component about making software that works well on cloud foundry and then the third element is the data component so we have various data offerings and with those you can then uh, build up you know business intelligence and uh, information about your customers and that feeds back into the labs element that informs your decisions which then powers the software you deploy to cloud foundry that then talks to the the data that you have and it creates that data and you have this kind of three parts working well together you know as a, a, a kind of a learning cycle um, so that that's really kind of those three parts working together helping organizations deliver value, making sure you know, they're not wasting their time and they are learning about their customers. 
you know, those are the, really the pain points that Pivotal addresses. And uh, Colin, um, is this for development that's occurring, you know, is it in production, pre-production or throughout the life cycle? I think we, we do focus heavily on trying to reduce latency in those cycles to production. So, you know, getting fast feedback from your real customers in production on the applications you're developing. Okay. And as we all know, all businesses are becoming, you know, all businesses are becoming software companies and if they're not becoming software companies they're going to be disrupted by software companies you know in in their markets so you know helping our customers effectively deliver software you know is what we're all about tell me a little bit more um how pivotal fits in the stack because when i think of cloud of course you think of the amazons of the world or on the virtualization side of the vmware and from what i know of pivotal you sit above that on the stack but how would how would amazon and vmware view you and how do you appear to a customer that is already on amazon cloud that's a really good question so <laughs> We do. You're right. We our components are, are, are higher levels of abstraction than the kind of companies uh, you're talking about. Now, <clears throat> I, I'm obviously, uh, as from what you've just said, I'm new to Pivotal. Um, right. Pivotal <laughs> is, Pivotal is uh, uh, you know, partially owned by VMware. There's VMware, EMC, Dell right. ownership going on. So I'll be very careful <laughs> of what I say here. But having said all of that, we tend to operate at higher levels of abstraction than Amazon. So something like Cloud Foundry's platform as a service. Cloud Foundry works very well on top of Amazon's EC2, works exceptionally well on top of Amazon's EC2. It also works exceptionally well on top of VMware's vSphere, what was vCloud, you know, those kind of offerings, the infrastructure offerings. So Cloud Foundry sits a level above. Um, so Pivotal Cloud Foundry deploys very well to those infrastructure cloud offerings. And what, what it then enables you to do is to deploy your applications to Cloud Foundry and they deploy in the same way to Amazon's EC2 as they do to VMware vSphere. So you have this, this common interface, this API, which you can push your applications to. It doesn't matter if it's running on Amazon uh, or Azure or if it's running on you know, uh, vSphere in-house or OpenStack. We run equally run well across all of them. So basically, if I were a pivotal salesperson, the way I would position the product across um, the three organizations or the three departments departments that you outlined is that you're where the value gets created as cloud becomes commoditized. Um, am I putting words in your mouth? <laughs> well, no, I think that's that's interesting. And obviously, um, I'm <laughs> always open to you applying to be a pivotal salesperson. <laughs> I'm no, sure no. You do a fantastic so, job. It's much harder to sell than than to be picking and helping build with um, with founders. But all kidding aside, so do you? Do the pivotal positions itself as a you know in a, in a market that's becoming increasingly commoditized as a differentiation. Is that is that a fair representation? Yeah. Well, I think that's something. That's an interesting perspective to look at it, but I think actually infrastructure as a service is not as commoditized as I would like it to be. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm trying to commoditize it further. I think we're seeing huge uh, efforts on behalf of the infrastructure vendors to actually resist commoditization. They're seeking to differentiate themselves hugely. Obviously, you can see um, Amazon's offering be- offerings beyond EC2. They're constantly seeking to differentiate themselves, trying to do things create value-add services that are adhesive to their users. So you, 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 then, you, know, you start maybe with EC2 where you could swap that out and you wouldn't be locked in. But then very frequently you then start consuming other services and you're actually completely tied into uh, to Amazon. 
Got now, it. what Cloud Foundry does <clears throat> is, you know, if you take Pivotal Cloud Foundry, you can deploy that to Amazon, but you can then also deploy it, as I say, to many other different types of infrastructure, and you aren't locked in. Your CF push, which takes your code, and runs it in Cloud Foundry, that works exactly the same no matter where you've deployed Cloud Foundry. So we are completely, agnostic. as you say, infrastructure agnostic and commoditizing the infrastructure. I think that's great news for consumers of uh, cloud infrastructure so that you, you don't feel that you're tied in. Your, your developers can continue to deliver value, whether it's on-prem, off-prem, hybrid. They don't even know or care. They shouldn't know or care. They just write effective value generating code and Cloud Foundry takes care of it from that point onwards. Got it. Okay. So let's actually, since we've been speaking about the big established players in the cloud market, let's do a little bit of a journey in time. In your view, how has the cloud market evolved over the last five years? I mean, I remember as a, as a VC, I remember when we first started talking about cloud and there was the whole prem, on-premise versus cloud and all the security risks and all that where, the, you know, the enterprises were so reluctant to be moving everything into the cloud. And yet here we are today, and it's almost like a foregone conclusion. But I'm curious, you've been part of this market for through your startup, and then now as part of the um, acquirer, Pivotal. Walk us through what, how the cloud market has evolved. I think you, you touched on some great points there. <clears throat> the first one I think we're now seeing, I mean, we can effectively say cloud has become the norm. So I think this is a, this is, Great news. I think we're now seeing organizations wasting less time building their own um, either infrastructure offerings or, or platform offerings or whatever. They're now thinking service first. So it's not just PaaS or IaaS or SaaS. It's the as-a-service component that's important. So we're seeing um, consumption of services becoming the norm. And when people are building their own services, they are thinking a lot before they do that. And I think that's really good. I think the thing that has surprised me maybe a, a little on that, as I was saying before, is that infrastructure is not commoditized fully yet. And that surprised me. If you'd asked me five years ago about how commoditized we would be in the future in a five-year point, I would have said, absolutely, you will not be able to tell the difference between any of the infrastructure offerings. We'll have standardized server types, our standardized networking, standardized storage. It will be total commodity. These things will be tradable, commoditized. You'll be able to buy options and various things, and it will be viewed as a commodity. And we're not there yet, and that surprises me. Why do you think that is, Colin? Why, why hasn't it been commoditized as well? Is it because you have large market players with pretty meaningful market shares? Or, or what, is, what is it about the demand and supply that has not allowed the commoditization? What is it about demand and supply that has not allowed the market to commoditize as fast? So I think, I think that's something that we, uh, as an entire industry, need to examine. I mean, my personal opinion, we effectively do have if not a monopoly run by Amazon, you know, we have an oligopoly that's a bit more, you know, Amazon to a limited extent, Microsoft, you know, Google. And I think that the vendors in general have looked to differentiate themselves. <clears throat> so I, I don't think, I think there's been a big activity from the vendors in terms of differentiation. I also think we as consumers haven't been sufficiently savvy in taking steps to commoditize the infrastructure. So I still see a lot of people who work with infrastructure 
treating their servers like they are special, wonderful, organically grown, <laughs> perfect things that they name each of them individually and, and they nurture and they cherish them. You know, <laughs> I've, I've seen uh, uh, engineers from a very large database company, I don't want to name, who tell me that you have to organically grow each cluster and each cluster is like a beautiful masterpiece that is grown by craftsmen. Now, I, that's something I obviously don't agree with, and this is why I'm, I'm so uh, uh, enthusiastic uh, um, and passionate about things like Cloud Foundry because it, it enhances our ability to commoditize the infrastructure. Great. So I'm going to stop naming my servers then. Um, got it. So let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about um, PaaS. I mean, it's, it's becoming um, a more everyday term, but it's certainly not SaaS. And, um, and I get the as-a-service component, but for some level setting, what exactly is platform as a service for our broader audience? And then let's talk a little bit about it. Sure, and that's actually a, a question I'm frequently asked and causes huge amounts of confusion. So you're quite right in saying people are used to talking about SaaS software as a service, and they the, the way to examine this stack is to think about units of currency. So what does it actually do? What okay. does it work with? So with SaaS, our unit of currency is people. You and I would interact with SaaS. We would consume, it, consume the software as end users. So it delivers software that people can use. Okay. Now, with infrastructure as a service, perhaps the bottom level of the stack, your unit of currency is usually servers. I mean, you right. have supporting things of that. You have networking, you have storage, but usually you talk about servers. So you would make an API call, and in response, you would get something that looks like a server, usually a virtual machine or a container. Right. Now, with platform as a service, the meat in the sandwich, the middle layer, things <laughs> yep. become a little more nebulous. So I would, I'd like to make this very simple by saying that platform as a service takes your application and runs it. So it converts code into running software. It levels you up from the PaaS to SaaS. So it's about taking your code and running it. And so then this, is the unit of currency a number of applications? I'd, I'd say yes. I mean, applications can become a, a very, again, in itself a nebulous term. Right. can be vague. Um, I think looking at it as being code, running your code is the way to examine path. And that gives you a really easy route into actually um, telling a good path from a bad path. And the best paths, the best platforms, enable you to focus on writing valuable code, code that delivers business value and the least time working on plumbing together the paths on deploying the paths. So <clears throat> the criteria by which you can accept, assess paths is very much how much time do you have to spend playing around with the paths and wiring it and how, versus the amount of time you can spend on code. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic about Cloud Foundry as a platform. Cloud Foundry, you have your code, you type CF push, your code is running, you can connect to the URL it gives you, and you can use your app. I think that, that is the direction that platform needs to go. And for me, that is the, the sign of a very high-quality platform. 
Yep. So what's interesting um, in this whole sort of the way that you have um, highlighted the the graduation, if you will, along the stack or up the stack from the infrastructure to the platform to um, software as a service is the whole notion that we're still buying servers and we're still buying code and we're still buying software, but it's a subscription piece most of the time and the way that we're monetizing it. And while it's amazingly creative on the part of all the service providers along the stack, I have to say at some point, and it's a discussion for a different time, but at some point, you've, you are the CFO of that buyer, of the of that company that's buying infrastructure as a service and platform as a service and software as a service. You're paying it all up front. At some point, someone will wake up and say, no way. Every technology we're buying, we're subscribing to and paying up front. We have to stop that. But I've just gotten a hint here that it's time for a break. So when don't we go on a break? And when we come back, we resume this conversation with Colin Humphreys. It's very interesting because basically what we're seeing here is that, as you, as per your opening um, remarks, Colin, that the entire stack now has a common denominator, which is providing it as a service, whether it is having moved from the basic level infrastructure to the middle layer or platform pass, platform as a service, and of course the more familiar path of software as a service. With that, I think we're going to go on a break, but when we come back, we will continue our conversation with Colin Humphreys, CTO of Cloud. Next Gen Now will return, staying ahead of the technology curve, after a word from our sponsors. Great websites today need expert web design and development, and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis, SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? I'm David Ogletree, president of WME Training. Did you know that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average? At WME Training, we can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investments. 
So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. We're back with more Next Gen Now, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's Rudina Ciceri. Welcome back to Next Gen Now. I'm Rudina Ciceri, and I'm joined by Colin Humphreys, CTO of Cloud at Pivotal. And we have been talking about PaaS, uh, platform as, as a service, as well as his role at Pivotal and what Pivotal has been doing today. Tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Have you done startup? Are you a serial entrepreneur? Have you done startup after startup? Or um, catch us up a little bit on how you got here today. Sure. Uh, Cloud Credo was my first um, startup that I've been CEO of. So I have been involved in a number of other startups, and that's been, pardon me, that's been a tremendous learning journey. Actually, so I call, have, Colin, take a 10-second take a break and then do that over so you can edit it. Please. Can you just remind me what, the question, what was the end of the question? I'm trying to remember that. Um, <laughs> I just go back to the question. Do I need to redo the question or can I just tell Colin what it was? Okay. Colin, the question was, um, as a serial entrepreneur, what has been the journey today that got you um, to your most recent company, to Cloud Credo? Well, thank you very much for asking. Um, my journey actually started uh, in a number of startups where I wasn't uh, a CEO, and I learned a huge amount being involved in you know, a few other startups. But Cloud Credo was the first startup where I was the CEO, the founder, you know, had the authority to really um, do what I wanted to do in the company. So uh, I'm very proud to say, you know, I, I founded Cloud Credo. Cloud Credo was uh, in existence for three years and one month. It grew from, you know, myself as the initial idea, brought in some uh, co-founders. Uh, we grew the company, uh, exited December the 17th to Pivotal. Um, we'd grown to 25 people in size. That was the most amazing learning experience. Running your own company is a tremendous set of challenges, but really <laughs> enjoyable when you get it right. So, yeah, it was, it was absolutely fantastic. And um, it was interesting to me because, um, the, you know, your company, you grew it from practically nothing to 25 people and you never took any external capital. Um, as a VC, I'm always curious as to the decision-making process of a founder to take or not to take external capital. Can you weigh in on that a little bit? Sure. So I think that actually caused us a huge amount of problems. So to, to give you my experience on that. The reason we were able to not take external capital was because we were building a consultancy organization. So the consultancy was effectively self-funding, and we used the profits from the consultancy to build products. Got it. So, so we had this kind of this circle where we were building, on the one hand, a consultancy organization, and on the other hand, a product organization. So as anyone can tell you that's uh, ever um, run a startup, the worst thing you can possibly try and do is two things at once. Yeah, it, it was it focus. was a really really it was a bad idea. Yeah, we had focus, so we couldn't <laughs> focus. However, I did have a number of conversations with VCs. Some of my very good friends are VCs, um, but I, what I had noticed that until you have been successful in the past, VCs won't talk to you as an equal. They don't know if you're going to succeed. They don't really have confidence in you. So 
uh, what I was finding was that VCs were saying to me, oh, yeah, Colin, we think you're fantastic. Come around to me after your first exit and we will throw money at you. But right now, you're going to have to accept these terms that were, as I saw it, inferior terms. So I think on your first company, you are disadvantaged. You have to accept worse terms. And you've got this chicken and egg situation where you can't exit on your first company because you can't get the funding. But you can't get the funding because you haven't exited on your first company. So you stall. So I think your first company is by far your most difficult. I think if you, when you do this first time around, you, you have these huge challenges. You effectively have to self-fund or take very poor terms from VCs. Um, so I sympathize hugely with uh, the other entrepreneurs that are out there that are trying to get their first companies off the ground. It's difficult. But trust me, when it works out, it is all worth the effort. It's interesting because you make a couple of different points in there. Um, one being this whole being a first-timer on um, a first-time founder, founder and at the helm of the company and the favors or, or you know, the, the favorable disposition or, or not of VCs. I find that quite, being a VC myself, we have a very different point of view when we're looking at enterprise deals versus when we're looking at consumer deals. For consumer deals, it feels as though it is the unproven first-time founders who reimagine the world. And usually, to be perfectly honest, young, you know, in their 20s, young founders who come up with the breakthrough ideas and then they, of course, hire experienced individuals and professionals to help drive those ideas to reality. But on the enterprise side, we're certainly looking for that experience because the challenges are so much bigger and honestly, launching an enterprise-oriented company, even when it's purely software, is not always the the most capital-efficient um, type of model. Do you find the same thing from where you sit as an entrepreneur and founder? Yes, I think that um, there are huge, huge challenges trying to appeal to enterprises and work with enterprises. So I've been very fortunate in that I've had a lot of experience working with big customers, working with enterprises. So we weren't appealing directly to you know, the um, business to consumer. We weren't doing that. We were doing business to business. Um, so I sympathize completely. I didn't, you know, as I said, my friends are, are VCs. I've, I've I've worked with a lot of VCs and I sympathize completely with them not perhaps having the confidence in me, the full confidence in me without having you know, built a company that already works with enterprises. I completely understood that. But that's why, you know, I was, I'm so happy to have been through this and learned from this and have this experience. Got it. And um, what about beyond the fundraising? Well, if you had to, I always ask this question when I talk to founders, um, what were your three biggest challenges of funding and this whole focus between, you know, your self-funding through the consulting service so you can become a fully softwareized offering? But uh, beyond that, what were some of the challenges that you faced? And then what were some of the highlights? What did you love about being at the helm, at the lonely helm, perhaps, of a startup? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I make it sound like I was uh, you're doing everything myself. I have to, um, as much as I'd love to propagate that myth, that is a myth. <laughs> I had a fantastic team around me. I've been doing you know, a huge disservice to uh, the Director of Engineering, Chris Headley, uh, Chief Operating Officer, uh, Paula Kennedy. Um, these people were really did all the hard work. Um, so yeah, I really want to just, just shout out to those people and just thank them for all their hard work and effort. I, I mean, I personally... As much as that focus was a huge challenge between the consultancy and the uh, um, development, that was difficult. I also personally hated 
the uh, administrational side of the business, the tax side, the kind of the non-differentiating, non-value-adding parts of the business. They, for me, were a huge headache. And I really want to thank Paula Kennedy because she, as Chief Operating Officer, took a lot of that burden off my plate. And if there's one piece of advice I can give to entrepreneurs and people looking to start companies, it is find yourself a good COO and get them to take care of all of those things you don't like so you can focus on adding value. That to me was the, the, the key thing that enabled me to do my job well. <clears throat> Pardon me. That enabled me to do my job well and talk to customers and really home in on the places where we could really make a difference while having somebody else take care of the parts that I wasn't so effective at. So, oh, go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought. I apologize. Having said that, I really loved creating an environment in which our staff were happy and that our customers loved working with us. We had such a great working environment. We loved working with our customers. The consultancy gigs were so fruitful and so successful. And when you build things and create those environments that people really, you can see them really enjoying them and really growing and learning within them, it's so fulfilling. So it's interesting because you speak very much to both the dilemma that many um, CEOs have about the role of a COO to hire or not to hire, someone who makes sure that the trains run on time, and then, of course, the importance of the culture. Uh, Has Pivotal left the company alone or are you integrated into Pivotal? And again, this may be a bit of a loaded question, but are you worried about the culture changing now that you're part of a much bigger organization? That is a fantastic question. So please allow me to answer that. I'm going to take a little bit of time to answer that the right way. So, you clearly have gotten the question from your team. So give us, give us the full, yes, give us the full story. Go I, ahead. I've had this question a few times. Um, <laughs> this is what's interesting. So the reason why I wanted to start my own company was because I have a set of values I passionately believe in that I, unless the the person I'm working for shares those values. I can't work for them. It just doesn't work. So those values are the values of extreme programming. So we talk about courage, communication, respect, fast feedback, simplicity. Okay, so I really believe in those values, and I've had friction working in other organizations where they don't believe in those values. That's why I had to set up my own company. I had to run my own company. And on those values, the culture of Cloud Credo is based. So on that basis, I thought I could not ever work for another company, but I'm tremendously pleased to say Pivotal is based on the same values. So we share these values, and because of that, the, the integration, the acquisition has been absolutely seamless. It's been incredible. and We have worked so closely with Pivotal for so long, and it's been basically like going home. It's just been joining up with Big Brother. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't speak highly enough of Pivotal. It's been absolutely seamless. So, so with that, by the way, it feels a little bit like we're at the Academy Awards where you're recognizing everybody, which I love it because it actually shows how uh, the end tale, if you will, of an entrepreneur's successful exit and the point that they're at after all the sweat and tears of three plus years of work. Um, before we wrap up, you know, the notion is once a founder, always a founder and an entrepreneur. 
when will you start thinking about your next idea? Is it already brewing and are you waiting for the lockup period to expire? <laughs> oh, that, that's a great question. I would say, say Pivotal is actually like a series of small startups. For that reason, I love it. There's a series of small teams delivering value effectively. So it's like a group of small startups. So what I can say, and you, you take this from everything I've said so far, is that working at Pivotal, I get all the fun of working in a startup because I can deliver effectively with customers, work closely with the customers, really make things happen, have all of the agility and none of the baggage of big organizations. It's absolutely fantastic. And I have none of the hassle that, you know, as I said before, I didn't want to do you know, the, the tax, the admin work, all of those kind of things because they're taken care of for me. So when people ask me, Colin, when are you going to do your next startup? The only answer I can give them is that I am already in my next startup and that <laughs> startup is pivotal. As long as you have the same upside in this next startup as you did in the last one. And I would hope so. <laughs> Lovely. Well, um, with that, we are out of time, but I'd like to thank Colin Humphreys, the newly acquired, if you will, CTO of Cloud for Pivotal, for joining me today. And, of course, my producer, Rasco, for another great show. I thank you, our listeners, for partaking in this edition of Next Gen Now. New episodes of Next Gen Now air on Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. If there is a topic you'd like me to cover, please tweet me at Rudina11, that's R-U-D-I-N-A, and the numbers 1 and 1. I'm Rudina Ciceri, and I look forward to speaking with you next time right here on Next Gen Now. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.